We all find ourselves in situations, you're in one now, but we all find ourselves in situations where people are telling us something. Could be that we're reading the newspaper on the internet, could be that we're just having a one-on-one conversation with us, with somebody, or like I say right now, I'm telling you something. We, we all have times when people are telling us something, right? And, and one of the really good things to do, and not be paranoid or anything, but one of the good things to do is, is to have a question in the back of your mind and, and to be asking yourself as this goes on, why is this person telling me this? Why is this person telling me this? It doesn't have to be a huge reason, okay? You don't have to make everything into a conspiracy theory or anything. But, but sometimes it's just like somebody's really nervous and they don't like dead time, so they're just telling us something. Sometimes they just have a funny joke. And when you have a funny joke, you have to tell it. It's just the way life is. Sometimes they might be feeling like, okay, um, you know, they're trying to explain something to us because we don't understand it. Or uh, they might feel guilty about something and they want to make sure we hear their side. But, but you, you want to kind of say, okay, what, what's this person, why are they telling me this? What's their purpose? Because almost all the time when, when we tell somebody something, we have a goal. We have a purpose. We want them to think something. We want them to do something. We want them to, to act in some way or, or to believe something. The Bible is that way. This book has a lot of information, but none of it is written so that you can have more information. This book will tell you about God, but it's not written just so that you can know more and understand about God. This book is written so that you can believe that you can follow. And each one of the individual books that are in here, the 66 that are in here, each one has a purpose as well. For the last seven weeks, we've been looking at the Gospel of John. He makes, uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He makes seven of those statements. And when we get toward the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 20, there's one more chapter to go. But when we get to the end of chapter 20, John says, I want to tell you my purpose. He has one major goal. He wants us to trust. He wants us to believe in Jesus so we can find life. And that's my goal as I'm talking to you today. I want you to continue to trust or trust for the first time. John 20, verse 30, he writes this. He says, Jesus performed many other signs. Oops, hold on. Let's go back to there a second. Can we do that? I can. Jesus performed many other signs um, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So what John is saying is, I could have told you a whole lot of other stories, right? I could have told you other things Jesus did. There were other miracles. There were other statements that he made. I could have told you a lot of different things that Jesus said, but I wrote these. I chose these. These are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. I want you to follow him. I want you to trust him. I want you to put your life in his hands and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John says he's got one goal. I want you to believe in Jesus. I want you to trust in Jesus. I want you to, to find life in Jesus because John believes, and I believe it along with him, that there's really there, there, there's a lot of good out in our world, but there's no life anywhere else, no ultimate life, no eternal life anywhere else. And so I want the same thing John wants. I want you to believe. John's goal throughout the whole gospel is that people believe. And, and if you just read the gospel one time, it's interesting to do this, and just circle every time it says believe, it's a really interesting thing to do that, to just see how often John talks about believing, okay, and how much he wants us to come to believe. By the time John wrote his gospel, he had been a pastor for maybe 40 years, experienced a lot, had a congregation of people. And, and one of the things I think that John has learned about believing, it's a, still his passion, it's still his goal that people believe in Jesus. But one of the things I think he learns, and I think he tells us this in a really interesting way at the end of the gospel, but John says this, John I think believes this, that, that believing doesn't come the same way to all of us. 
Okay, believing doesn't come the same way to all of us. And it's so important that we understand that. For some of us, believing comes quickly and quite easily. For some of us, you know what, we just see it and we know it. And, and we can, see, we honestly never thought of a time when, when we didn't believe it. There was never a time when it didn't make sense. Or as soon as we heard it, we knew it and, and we believed it. And we've never struggled. We've never wavered. Okay, so for some of us, it's there. But for others of us, John knows for some of us, we struggle. We struggle, even having said we believe, we struggle with whether we still can believe, whether we will believe tomorrow, whether we, and, and so there's this whole spectrum. And, and what John wants to do is he wants to let us know that that's okay. So often what we have in churches and as Christians is we say to one another, well, this is how I experience God, so this is how you've got to experience God. This is how I became a Christian, so this is how you, this is the experience I went through, this is your experience, and if you don't, you're not good enough. And John wants to say, no, that's not true. So in John chapter 20, John gives us a gift. And I want us to see it as a gift through the whole chapter. And, 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 and John is going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. He's going to tell us that Jesus rose from the dead. He's going to tell us that Jesus is alive. And, 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 but one of the things that's really interesting is he tells us this. What he does, and this is a gift, I think he gives us five different responses to the resurrection. We're going to look at this, and and I think it'll be really interesting to recognize that John gives us pictures of different people responding to the resurrection. And I think what he's saying is, I've had all these people in my congregation, and I know some of you are like this one, and some of you are like that one. And so I want to take a look at these, because John knows, again, believing doesn't come the same way to all of us. It's not just cookie cutter, one size fits all. So let's look at these five responses to the resurrection in John chapter 20. And as we do so, Kind of ask yourself, where do you fit? Kind of where do I fit into this? How does this work for me? And, and recognize that while we may have a general tendency, sometimes at different points in our lives we're at different places. Some days it might be this, and some days we might be on the other end. But five different responses to the resurrection. The first one, part of the interesting thing, part of the first one is that we don't get a name for the first one. The first one who believes in the gospel of John after the resurrection, we don't get a name. He's called the other disciple, though it's probably John himself. In the gospel of John, he never talks about himself as John. But he does talk about the other disciple and the one Jesus loved. And it's pretty clear that that's, prob- that's John himself. Okay, So John doesn't refer to himself, but he talks about the other disciple, and that's John. So let's go to John 20. We start at verse 1. We don't actually start with John here because it's Mary Magdalene. Mary was a follower of Jesus, had been a prostitute, and and a lot of messed up life, but Jesus rescued her. She saw him die on the cross, helped put him in the tomb, and now it's Sunday morning, and she's going to the tomb. And so she heads off on the way, and this is what happens. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she comes, and, and the tomb would have been cut into a wall, into a, into a, a, a cave of some sort, and would have had a stone that you could roll away because you would put bodies in and take them out or move the bones or whatever. And so she comes and, and notices it, and she knows the right tomb because she was there when they put Jesus in it, and the stone is rolled away. And she responds by running away. <laughs> she responds by running away. She had loved Jesus so much. And what she thinks, well, look, at here's what she thinks. She went running away. She came to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, John. And she said, you know what? They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. 
For her, she wanted to say goodbye. For her, she wanted just to, and for them to now do this. They killed Jesus. Now they're going to desecrate his body. Now they're going to hide his body. And so she says to Simon Peter and the other disciple, to John, she said they took his body. So Peter and John, they run. They head over to uh, the tomb. So Peter and John, or so Peter rather, and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now remember I said we should ask, why, did they tell, why are they telling me this? Why is John telling us that he's faster than Peter? I don't know. This is one that I'm going to get to heaven and say, so why did you put that in there? I don't know if there were stories or if whatever, if this is just John kind of saying, dudes, I know some of you think Peter got there first. No, it was me. And, and so but I, this is one where I ask and I don't know, but he's going to say it again. So he, he thinks it's important. Um, John gets there. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So he, he get bent down. He could see these strips of linen that had been wrapped around Jesus, but he stays outside. Peter catches up. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. Peter just goes. That's, that's what Peter is like. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. They would have used a separate cloth for that. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So Peter goes in, sees this, and he's there. Then John enters. Okay. Finally, the other disciple, who had, by the way, reached the tomb first. I'm faster. I don't know. But he had reached the tomb first, also went inside. John goes inside, and then these four words. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. John says, for me, I just knew it at that moment. I, what did he see? All he saw was an empty tomb, and he saw some grave clothes. He didn't see Jesus. He didn't see anything else. He didn't hear any stories. He didn't see any angels. He just said, I know, I know, I know. It's true. It's real. It's there. He's alive. Jesus is there. That's all it took for John, the, the empty tomb was enough. The empty tomb was all he needed to see. Now, he, he makes clear, he's going to later in the chapter make sure he didn't understand everything. It's not like he was like, oh, I knew, I saw this and I had it all figured out. No, he didn't know so much, and none of us know everything. But, but John, he didn't need to know everything. He didn't need to understand everything. He didn't need to try to have to put this all together. He just knew it was Jesus and it was okay and it was going to be all right. And he believed. He put his complete trust in Jesus. And for some of us, that's the way belief comes to us. All right, for some of us, it's just been there. And we know it and we believe it and we don't struggle with it at all. And I want to say if that's you, two things. First of all, it doesn't mean that we're gullible or naive. I think sometimes those of us who are not in this camp, all right, those of us who are not easy to believe, sometimes we look at that and we say, well, your faith is very shallow. Your faith is not very deep. Your faith, because you just, you just never have gone through struggles. You wait till life punches you in the face. You wait till this, and then, then you'll be different. Then you'll be like the rest of it. You know what, friends? There are some whom God just gives the gift of faith. There are some who just believe, and let's celebrate that and recognize that and maybe be just a little jealous of it. <laughs> but for some, it's, and if that's you, it's okay. Okay, you don't have to say, I'm so sorry, or I, I don't know if my faith is real because I've never gone through a struggle. No, it doesn't mean you're naive. It doesn't mean you're gullible. It doesn't mean any of that. You might just have that gift of faith. And for some of us, I mean, John is obviously not saying, I'm the worst. <laughs> he likes himself. He wants us to know he won the race. So he likes himself enough, and he has to say, for me, it was easy. I saw, and I believed. 
So it doesn't mean we're naive. It doesn't mean we're gullible. And, but I do want to say we need to focus, if we're in this camp, of growing our faith. Because sometimes for us it's like, yeah, I just believe it, and it's easy, and I don't need to know more. Well, I, you know, on the one hand, no, you don't need to, but it can be helpful, okay? And so I'm not saying it's a shallow faith, but just continue to grow, all right? Continue to, to dig down roots. If you're in that camp, continue to, to learn more about this one who has given you life. So John, the other disciple, the empty tomb is enough. Now let's go back to Mary. Okay, Mary, she came back. She told Simon, Peter, and John, hey, they, they stole his body. They ran away. Now she comes back. I don't know if she walked or whatever, but it seems that, that Peter and John are gone again, and Mary is outside the tomb, and Mary is just torn apart. I mean, she is just, she was so deeply in love with Jesus, not in an inappropriate way, but just so deeply. He was the one who gave her life, and her heart has just been destroyed. And so she stands outside the tomb, and she's weeping. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She gets closer, and she bends over, and she looks into the tomb, and she gets more than just the the, linen cloths. She sees two angels. She gets a little bit more. And in some ways, when I say God is giving her what she needs, right? God is, but, but even that's not enough. All right, she sees two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, one at the foot. John didn't need angels. Mary saw angels, but she still doesn't get it. She still doesn't believe. She still doesn't see. In John's gospel, seeing is believing, okay? When you see Jesus, that's what happens. And so she still doesn't see. So the angels ask her. They say to her, woman, why are you crying? And, and she says, well, they've taken my Lord away. Same thing she said before. I, I don't know where they put him. Must have heard a sound or something because at this, we're told, John says, she turned around. She saw Jesus standing there, although she doesn't see him. Okay, she, she doesn't quite get it. She did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, uh, Sir, if you've carried him away, let me tell me where you've put him and I'll, I'll get him. I just, I just want to honor his body. I just, I mean, she's telling Jesus, I just want to honor you. I just, please let me bring him back. Let me put him back. And then it happens. Jesus said to her, Mary. He calls her name. He speaks her name. And in that intimate encounter, in that word, with that word, then she has her eyes open. Then she believes. Then she understands who this is. And she, she gets it that Jesus has risen from the dead. It was her speaking. It was his speaking her name. Then she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, an, an endearing teacher. And she falls at his feet and she holds on to him like she's never going to let him go because she's got him back. And she is so thankful for that. For Mary, it's Jesus calling her name it's not just knowing he's not in the tomb. It's not just seeing the grave clothes. It's the angels, and then it's Jesus calling her name. And in that, that close, intimate, private, personal encounter, she knows it's him. And for some of us, that's how we came to faith. Or that's how we grow in faith. We need that same kind of encounter. 
what, what God knows. And, and again, God brings to us what we need. God doesn't just say, you come out and find me all the time. God says, I will come to you. And he knows. And, and so we might experience that in a, in a worship service. For me, I, 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 you know, I mean, I was raised in a Christian home. And in many ways, I, again, I don't have a time where I was ever like walking, running away from the Lord. But when I was in high school, I grew up out in Byron Center, and I went to Heritage Christian Reformed Church on 84th Street. And I remember a service when I was in high school, and at the end of it, we sang Amazing Grace. And as we sat there, and as we stood, rather, and sang, I could, I could take you to the pew where I was, take you to the seat where I was sitting. And it was just like, I knew it. In, in that worship, I knew it, that Jesus was full of grace, that God loved me, that God forgave my sins. And I just, and, and it wasn't like, you know, my whole life turned around then, but, but I, it was like something got deeper. Something brought me to a new place. And, and, and I knew that. And, and I'm not, I don't tend to be, a, I tend to be more rational than emotional, but, but man, I'll tell you, when God does that for me, it is so cool. It could be for you, it's in a worship service. It could be watching a sunset. And you just kind of hear God saying, I painted this for you. I, I, I'm, one day you're going to just see stuff like this all the time. No more pain, no more. I, just, and we have a sense watching a sunset, walking through the woods. For some of us, that's the place. I had several guys try to tell me it's out on the golf course, but not on Sunday mornings. We'll get back to that. No, I mean, right? I mean, it's, I, <laughs> Augusta might be where God actually lives. But anyway, um, praying in our homes. Praying in our homes. For some of us, we've just, at that time, we know that God is there. And we have that intimate encounter. And it's so real. Again, but it's not all of us, okay? It's, if you say, I've never had that. It's not been my, it's okay, okay? Okay, okay. Um, But for Mary, that's what she had. Jesus calls her name. So we have the other disciple. He, he, just the empty tomb is enough. For Mary, she gets an empty tomb, angels, and then Jesus calls her name. Now we get to the, the rest of the disciples, most of them. One of them is missing. Judas is gone altogether now, but the other one, Thomas, is missing. So the rest of the disciples. It's Sunday evening when they get their experience, when they become believers, as it were. It's a Sunday evening of Easter Sunday morning. They have heard of the empty tomb. Peter and John have seen it. John does believe. Peter is still uh, among those who doesn't. Um, they've, they've gotten that. They've gotten Mary's report. She came back and said, I have seen the Lord. So they've gotten that report. Um, they, they, they've heard all these things, and yet they're not sure. In fact, they're scared. They're scared, and so they have the doors locked. They want to keep the dangerous stuff outside. You've been there. I kind of like that. Do you like to drive someplace on your own so you can leave when you want? Do you like to kind of keep things to yourself because you just don't like people to get in? The disciples are just like, we just want to just give us space. Just stay away. On the evening of that first day of the week, verse 19, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, they, they were also scared somebody was going to hurt them. For fear of, of being attacked, for fear of this, they didn't know what was going on. And Jesus said, well, until you come looking, no, 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 no. Jesus broke through. Doors locked, and Jesus shows up. <laughs> Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
So now they see Jesus, and he comes in miraculously. He breaks in. They're trying to keep everything out, but Jesus said, excuse me, I belong. And he comes in, and he says, peace be with you. And then he does something else. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He showed them his injuries. Guys, it's really me. It's really me, the one who was crucified, the one who was dead. Now I am alive. It's really me. And that extra bit of information seems to be what it takes, seems to be what clicks with the group of disciples there, because then it says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Their eyes were opened, and it was because they realized this is the one who was wounded. He's not some savior who just comes and says, oh, I don't know what it's like down there, but uh, come on up. No, he comes, and he pays the sin. He pays the price for our sin. He takes our brokenness. He heals our diseases and, and the disciples the disciples believe I mean, they had the other things they, they'd have heard the tomb is empty again they see and hear Jesus who came through a locked door but they see his wounds and then they believe and, and I think for us we need Jesus to break through for some of us now don't ignore it when he does okay but he doesn't just wait he comes to us And in some ways, like Mary, sometimes he's standing right in front of us and we don't see him. The disciples were that way. He was there and they still weren't sure. But sometimes what we need to see more than anything else is to see his wounds. To know that he knows us. And he knows our hurts. And he knows our pains. You see, for some of us, it's remembering his wounds that show that he's the real deal. Because I can't trust somebody who hasn't been wounded. I can't trust somebody who hasn't gone through difficult times. Who hasn't been in the darkness. And Jesus says, I've been there. I've been there. You can trust me. So we have John, the other disciple. All he took was the empty tomb, and he's like, I'm on board. Let's go. This is great. And again, John obviously doesn't, you know, I mean, he doesn't think the others are bad because he tells us the story. So Mary, Jesus calls her name, and then the other disciples, mostly Jesus, breaks through to them. Fourth, fourth, Thomas. Thomas. See, Thomas wasn't with the disciples on that Sunday evening of Easter. He was someplace else. We don't know where he was. Don't know if it was for a good reason or if he was just late or if he was ornery or what it was. But Dale Bruner, who's a guy who's written a really, really great commentary on the Gospel of John, says something here, and I want you to be a little careful. I don't want to make too much of it, but I think it's interesting to notice this, okay? And, and I don't, I'm not scolding you here. But, but, but Bruner argues, and I think there's some truth to it, that part of what John wants us to learn here is that it's good to gather together when other Christians do, because he calls Thomas, not Thomas the doubter, he calls him the disciple who missed church. Now, again, I'm not saying, if you're not here, you're going to miss Jesus. But there is something, if you look in the Gospel of John, he shows up to Mary kind of one-on-one. But other than that, where does Jesus show up? When the group is gathered. Jesus shows up when the the family is together. Jesus tends to do that. He said, we're two or three gathered in my name, right? I'll I'll be there in the midst of them, right? And so, again, I'm not saying, oh, you're really bad if you ever skip church. Um, Hey, look, who knows how often I'd be here if I wasn't paid. No, I'm I'm sorry. Um, but there is something that happens, okay? So, so, so stick with it. And, 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 and so Thomas 
wasn't there. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Must have showed up a little later that night because the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. He's alive, and it's amazing. It's not enough for Thomas. He said to them, even if I see him, it won't be enough. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands. And then he says, this is what I need. I need to put my finger where his nails were, where the nails were, and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. Thomas represents those of us who really struggle. Thomas is not a bad guy. Thomas is not this ornery guy who was just so naughty that he didn't believe when the other disciples told him, and he should have, and it should be easy. I think John gives, gives Thomas here the place of honor. Because John knows those who struggle, and they need to know that they're not alone. You need to know you're not alone. And, and so Thomas is not a, a, a person who's ornery or angry or, or whatever, but Thomas is a realist. Thomas just says, I, I, I will jump in, and he would with everything he's got. But he doesn't jump in until he knows what he's jumping into. He doesn't jump in until he's really ready to go. So Thomas says, I'm not ready. And he waits, just like some of you. It's okay. Thomas waits. And he waits, and he waits. And it doesn't seem like long, but imagine you were there. Wait seven days, as far as we know. John doesn't tell us Jesus shows up to anybody else. Now all the disciples are waiting. By this time, all of them are kind of wondering, did we get this right? <laughs> did, did we, was Thomas right to doubt us? Did we hallucinate that? What's going on? But they gather together again. Thomas doesn't skip church this time. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Just to show you how strong their faith was, they kept the doors locked. The doors were locked once again. They're still scared. Their faith does not just take off and make them into the world changers right away. But Jesus does what Jesus does. He comes and breaks through again. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he turns to Thomas. And he says, who do you think you are? No, he doesn't. It's not Jesus. He says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Do not continue in your unbelief. I dare to believe, buddy. Dare to believe. I know it's tough for you, but do what you got to do. Touch me. Feel me. And, and you just got to know it's real. And Thomas Thomas sees, and Thomas believes. Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. And in the Gospel of John, that's the, that's the pinnacle. That's the highest. That's why I say Thomas gets this place where, where, where he is the high point of the Gospel because this is what John wants all of us to say, that Jesus is my Lord and he is my God. And that's who he is. And Thomas, the one who struggled the most, gets this place of honor. One interesting thing, you can go check me out later if you want to. John doesn't tell us if Thomas actually touched. It's one of those questions I want to ask when I get there. I don't know if Thomas actually did it or if Thomas was just like, dude, now that you're here, I don't, or if he just hugged him or whatever it was. But whatever it was, it was enough for Thomas. It was enough for him to dare to believe. He wants or needs more. He's had all the other stuff the others have had, but he needs more. And Jesus is full of grace to him and he's full of grace to us. 
when we struggle with believing. Some of us are there. And if you're there, remember Jesus keeps coming to you. He keeps coming to us. Now don't ignore him and say, well, someday. When he's there, believe. But he's there. And he keeps coming. And, and in some ways, one of the things, I think John tells us this story because he wants us to know, can we trust Thomas? Not in Thomas. We don't do patron saints in our tradition. But in some ways, I'd like to say Thomas is a hero for some of us. And if I can't touch Jesus' wounds myself, can I trust Thomas? John wants to say, I knew this guy, and he struggled so much. But he touched those wounds, or he saw them, or whatever it was. But when he met Jesus, it was enough. So he's you, and it's okay. Thomas needs to feel the proof. Thomas needs to feel the proof. John, easy to believe. Mary, she hears it, has an intimate encounter. The other disciples, they see the wounds and they see Jesus. Thomas, whatever, however he saw, felt whatever it was, it was enough. And then there's one more group, right? There's us. What will we do? John 20, 29. Then Jesus told him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those, you, me, who have not seen and yet have believed. So the fifth group is us. Wherever we might fit in the other four, Jesus says, blessed are you if you'll trust me. Put your life in my hands. So those are the responses. John says, I told you this whole story so that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Wherever you are this morning, maybe you've been believing for a long time and you're doubting. Maybe you've never believed because you just say, I can't buy it, Ron. It sounds like hogwash. Today, I just want to say what John says. You can dare to believe. You can dare to believe. Let's pray together. Father, for some of us, and we thank you, and for some of us at different times in our life, belief just is easy. I mean, the the heartbeat is strong. Life is good, and and we just know it. Sometimes even in the darkness, we still know it, and, and we're thankful for those moments, and we thank you for the brothers and sisters among us who experience that. Father, we thank you for those times when you've called our names, whether it was in a worship service or wherever it was, but you called our names. We're thankful for those times, Father, when you've showed us your heart and your wounds and your pain. We thank you for Thomas. Lord, wherever we are, let this moment be another one where we see And we dare to believe, not understand everything, but we dare to believe that there is new life in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.